Megan Barker here from the Jammy Cam. If you don't know what Jammin' and Jammies is, it's a live show that happens here in Nashville featuring hit songwriters and rising artists in pajamas. Right now we're doing everything via live stream on Sunday nights on Instagram, so make sure you check that out. And while we're all sitting at home in our pajamas a little more right now, we're sitting down with some of our favorite songwriters and finding out their stories and their process and picking their brains. Today we have Mr. Pete Salas. Pete is a super successful songwriter here in Nashville with cuts by artists like Ronnie Dunn, Bucky Covington, Kev Moe, American Idol winner, Philip Phillips, and you definitely remember his smash hit for Maddie and Tay, Shut Up and Fish. Pete is also smash. a smash hit. <laughs> he's also been, though, a touring drummer with uh, major artists, and he's written songs with some of the biggest songwriters in the world. So there's a lot of ground to cover. So, Pete, how you doing? Hey, I'm very old, too, so I've been around long enough. <laughs> I'll tell no, you what not. to do. No, you're not. But I would love for you to just start at the beginning. Tell us where you're from and how you got into music. Okay, well, I was born in July 26th. That far back? How far back are we going? No, I, I like that. Are you a Cancer? I'm a Cancer, too. Oh, is that a Cancer? No, it's a Leo. Oh. Oh, yeah, you're totally ah! a <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was born the youngest of seven. I was kind of a, mis a mistake. <laughs> There's like eight years between me and my next oldest sister, but I think the mailman came around that day and <laughs> my mom was lonely. But so, uh, long story short, I picked up a drum, a pair of drumsticks in fifth grade and started playing just one drum for like three, you know, the marching band and the symphonic band and all through junior high and high school. And in high school, I got my first drum set. Like more than one drum, I had like a whole drum set. And after two years of doing that, and as a junior in high school, I met Billy Corgan. No way. We were at the same high school. Wow. Yeah, he was two years ahead of me, and uh, we were in a band for two years called uh, Lex L E X. I don't know why we named it that, but we just, we pretty much just played graduation parties, you know, barbecues. We pretty much covered Rush. Uh, Led Zeppelin, you know, he's a big Black Sabbath fan. Nice. So, you know, we played for two years together, and then uh, I graduated high school and moved to San Diego for like a year and then moved to Nashville. And so, you and then, went to Belmont, didn't you? Yeah. I, yeah, I was at Belmont, and I remember being in the laundry room downstairs seeing this video on MTV. I'm like, who is that guy? That was Billy Corgan. Like, I had never put together that team was in Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, my God. That's crazy. And that moment, I'm like, oh, that's so crazy. i to stay two more years. <laughs> Did I'm you ever ready. reach out to him? Did y'all ever talk again? Yeah, I, I actually talked to him last year for the first time yeah. in 20 yeah. years. But, yeah. So, it's fun to see him online and doing all that stuff. But anyway, so I moved to Nashville to do the songwriting thing. But I kind of started playing drums for about nine years. From Mindy McCready. I started out in Christian music. I grew up on a lot of Christian music. And uh, I started playing with Mike English, uh, Bob Carlisle, you know, Butterfly Kisses guy. Uh, so about nine years uh, playing just drums in the road full time with all of the world. And the only place I haven't been is like China and anywhere in the Far East. Wow. And Iceland. I haven't been to Iceland, but every other continent I've been on. So That's amazing. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Side note, I have to know what's your favorite place you've ever been? I think Prague, Czechoslovakia. Really? Yeah, it was just the architecture is like 
pre-World War II because Hitler was going to bomb them. So Prague gave Hitler their town, really, in essence, to not, so he wouldn't bomb his own town. Yeah. So a lot of that architecture there is because everything after World War II has been rebuilt in Europe. But Prague's one of the few that were have pre-World War II architecture. So it's a lot a lot older there for some reason. But and just the girls and the people and you know, just the history was great. Um yeah, I think that's probably my favorite place on earth. It's hard to beat Australia, but I couldn't live there full time. Yeah. It's so far removed. It's kind of living in Hawaii, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure a summer house in Australia wouldn't be horrible. Oh, not at all. Just for, <laughs> you know, a month at a time or, you know, live next right. door and, to cold it, Yeah, and when it's winter here, it's summer there. So it's kind of perfect. Right. Yeah. So that yeah. was fun for nine years. And then, you know, I ran into a, a, a drummer. I won't say who he played for, but he played for one of the biggest artists in, in Nashville. And uh, he was working at... Southwest, like load, load luggage. And I was like, man, this guy's got the biggest gig in Nashville. Wow. And he's not working because his artist had taken a year off to shoot a movie. Maybe they'll tell you who it is, but he took a year off to shoot a movie. And so uh, he was working. And I was like, it really opened my eyes like, oh my gosh, you can have the best gig in town and still be unemployed, you know? Wow. That really changed my thinking is, man, I got to do something to where I actually own it. Yeah. So I, write, I really started thinking, you know, I've been writing my whole life writing songs, but none of them were very good. But at that moment's when I really started to focus all on songwriting. So for a couple of years, I would uh, go to play publisher's songs like every month. I'd be on the road for three weeks, come home. I had a week to like meet everybody. I'd kind of write songs on the road while I was drumming, write songs, come home, make quick work tapes, and go play like eight to nine different publishers every week. Oh, man. You know? And I did that for about two years. And, you know, early on in all my songs, people would die because I thought country music was all about, you know, <laughs> people drinking and dying in car crash or, you know, all the sad country songs, you know, whiskey lullaby, all that. <laughs> so I kind of, I kind of, you have to go through that process to learn what to write about and what to say and what not to say. But after a couple of years, I was playing a gig uh, with uh, Joel Shoemake and Luke Laird. Luke called me like last minute on a Monday night. He had someone back out. He was in a round at the Broken Spoke. And uh, he said, uh, man, you want to come in and join in? And I was like, I didn't want to do it, but I ended up doing it. And uh, I played three songs, and in the audience that night, a guy who I'd never met, but I've been playing for all these publishers for two years. It's the one guy I never met. He just got a job at Combustion Music, and uh, he saw me play three songs. He said, man, come into my office tomorrow, Tuesday, play me some songs. So I played him six songs that I wrote. Everything I wrote was by myself back then. So I, wrote, I, wrote, I played him six songs that I wrote. By myself, and he was like, "Man, where have you been?" You know, blah 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 blah. So Wednesday, he called me, and I was on a meeting to another on a way to a meeting with another publisher. You know, and uh, he goes, "Look, if you come here, you won't have to go to that meeting." So I, wow. I met him Monday night, Wednesday morning. I had a deal memo with like, "We're going to sign you to your publishing deal." He's, so in three days, I, I've been trying for two years. All wow. these different people. That's this guy, and two days later, had a deal. 
at combustion. So that was crazy. You know, of course, I only had six songs that they could. Uh, I wrote them all by myself, so they didn't have to guess what I did. They knew I could do lyric and melody and play and sing. So, you know, wow. it's funny. That's when I got into co-writing, and that's that took a while to actually learn and get used to. But so I've actually been writing a lot more since the quarantine. I've been writing a lot of solo songs, you know, which I miss doing. So I, I, I don't think I ever want to stop doing that now. Oh, yeah, wow. I think that's important for a songwriter. Keep writing by yourself. So yeah, I think I think I went through ten years writing right by myself at all. Yeah, I'm sure. You but know? you get caught up in the hustle. You yeah, know, you have to write caught up in that machine, and you're supposed to co-write. You know. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, you know, there's a lot of songs I never would have wrote without a co-writer. You know. Oh. And that way, and that way, it's great. So I never yeah. would have said it that way. But then also, when you solo write. It's got your unique stamp on it. Sometimes you get watered down if you write with two other people, and they'll take your thought and change it, which is not wrong, but uh, I don't know. A little more uniqueness when it's a solo ride, I think. Yeah. Well, in your bio, you've mentioned how many kind of world-renowned songwriters you've gotten to collaborate with. So can you tell us, like, what you learned when you first got in the room with them, and are you kind of trying to pass that along to youngins that want to write with you now? like? Tell us all about that. Oh, man. Uh, my first, after I signed a combustion, my first professional co-write was Ashley Gorley. Oh, stop. Oh, my gosh. Well. My first demo was an Ashley song I wrote, and I sang it at our demo. Because he was at combustion at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, he's still there, but he's got his own company now. Yeah. Um, so that was my first world. And uh, the first song we wrote was uh, Forgot How It Felt. It was him and Brian Simpson, actually. So I was thrown right into that co-writing thing. You know, it took me a while to kind of actually like it. But, um, I mean, probably, my, I mean, I've written with everybody. I can't even start. I mean, Tia Sillers, my favorite co-writer ever. Um, uh, Rivers Rutherford. The other guy I haven't written with is Jeffrey Steele. Not yet. No. But Craig Wiseman I've written with. I've written with. You know Tony Mullins, all the hitmen guys. Yeah. Um, man, I, 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 you know, I should have a thousand hits for all the guys I've written with. <laughs> you will. But, uh, I remember uh, trying to think of a lesson I learned. Oh, uh, Craig Wiseman. I tell a lot of writers this all the time, but I remember writing with him the first song we wrote, and I was kind of like, you know, you're in a room with Craig Wiseman, you're trying to think, oh man, this guy's. You're kind of nervous because you don't know what's going to happen, but I was kind of struggling on a line. Like, you got to get this line. You got to get this line. And he said, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, uh, let's not waste time in that. Let's just, let's just, uh, let's just, uh, how do you say it? Uh, oh, uh, let's build the house. We'll hang the curtains later. Oh, I love that. You know, let's frame the house. We'll hang the curtains later. You know, we get so stuck on one line that, you can kind of lose momentum and lose that, you know, the groove yeah. that's going. So if you if you kind of get too stuck in one place, you, you could kill it. So just let's just move on. Just kind of frame the house, yeah. get kind of what we know. You know, I had another writer kind of taught me a thing. What do you want to say in the first verse? You know, and on that first, and we used to write in paper back then, not in computer, but you would write the first verse. What do we want that verse to say? And we'll say on the, on the margin, put like, what do we? That's what we want to accomplish. Same thing with the second verse and then the chorus, you know. 
Um, yeah. Oh man, there's so many different. Yeah, it sounds like you've had. I, I think like you had some mentors early on. Oh yeah, I'm lucky. To, I mean, you know, it's a big, small town, really, and it's just yeah. Everybody, you know, we're all like pirates on the same ship. We're all trying to get to number one. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we don't really like people to get on our ship. You know, we're pirates. We're kind of bad bad guys. <laughs> we really don't want you ownership, but if somehow you get on, then you're one of us. Yeah. You know? We don't need more pirates. You know, we don't want more pirates because we're we're selfish and we want to be the only one writing songs. You know. Yeah. So it's hard to get on the ship, but once you get on, it's a, it's a good gang of good gang of people. Yeah. Okay. You know? Well, you had some mentors early on that kind of guided you. I mean, would you say now that you're a pro and a very established and successful that you're trying to pass along like what's something that you say to I kind of say all the same things that were told to me yeah you know it's really what it's all about is passing the information down you know? yeah of course the things that change you know I remember when I first moved here there were, you know I know writers that would tell me they'd write a song and walk it down to this office and they'd cut it that day yeah you know but that back like Wood Newton been here forever Wood Newton was here at a time, you know, early 80s, late 80s. I wasn't here yet, but, you know, there were not that many writers doing it. You know, they had probably 50, 60 writers in town. And they could just walk over or call somebody and, you know, in a week it'd be cut. Yeah. You know? and, then, and then in the 90s, when Garth kind of blew up, everybody was here writing songs. And I remember when I first signed my deal in 2003, um, they're probably, man, they had to be like 1,500 to 2,000 staff songwriters, you know? It was like everybody was making money and writing songs. And that was in the heyday. Yeah. And now it seems, now I've heard it's like 300 to 350 songwriters now, like paid, uh, have a publishing deal where you make money. Like yeah. A lot of people have publishing deals that don't make any, any money, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like a publishing deal by name. Right. You know? <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I don't know what that point was about. But. <laughs> That's all right. I'm, I'm curious. You talked a little bit about uh, writing by yourself and yeah. the difference between writing with people, writing by yourself. What is your songwriting process? Do you ever write to tracks? Do you like to keep it on guitar? Um, I've done it all, but um, I don't, there's really not one way that's more successful. But the thing is, you got to show up. Whether it's a track or whether it's just a guitar or a piano, whether it's you know ten in the morning or ten at night, or in a dream, I mean, you gotta show up to be present to win, you know. Amen. It's like it's like every day is a lottery ticket, you know. Yeah. If you gotta buy it, you gotta buy yeah. the lottery ticket. You know, you gotta go in the store, you gotta do the work, and you know, and every every song is like a little piece of real estate, you know. Yeah. We're all kind of like architects, and most of our buildings suck. <laughs> you know, but every now and then you might sell a house. I yeah. love that. That's a good analogy. So, <laughs> we're all in the real estate business. We're all like, we got these little songs, these little like Monopoly houses. Right now they're plastic. Yeah. Little red houses. I got pockets full of them, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. But every now and then you pass, go, you collect check. You're really good at these colorful metaphors. I love it. Oh, I'm just making it up off the top of my head. Well, can you tell us what was your first cut and, you know, how long after you signed your deal did a cut happen? And Wow. Um, let me think about this. 
Uh, oh, oh, I, I know. Let's see. I saw my first video in 2003 at Combustion. And actually, I, it's a song of theirs I wrote with a guy named Greg Becker. Okay. And uh, we sat in the front steps of Combustion outside one time. And we wrote a song called Somebody Wrote Love. And I remember uh, my first artist that cut it, a guy named George Canyon up in Canada, who's like Elvis up there. Oh. And he, he released it, went to number one in Canada, and it won single of the year. So, wow. Um, let's see here. I got a little. Oh, uh, we got a little TCMA award right here. I don't know if you see oh, that. oh, oh sorry. Coming. Wait, yeah, go ahead. I don't know. Anyway, so that's that so was, cool. Oh, I remember, and I remember uh, being up in Canada and you know hearing that name called and your song. It's like it, and everybody cheering. It blew my mind. You know, for me that was like the Grammys. First time you ever get a song. You know, noticed, you know, and the same song. Uh, it's the first time I ever had a song on the Grand Ole Opry. He came down and played with the Opry, got to go there that night and hear it. That was cool. So that was my first song. Um, but what's funny is how these songs get cut. Um, at the time, my roommate was on the road playing for a Canadian artist, left a CD of mine on George's bus. I don't even know if it was on purpose. So uh, the artist George, he kind of heard it. He liked two or three songs on there, and he, you know, just said, "I can put these three songs on hold," and he ended up cutting that one. I got to go see it here in Nashville. They came down here to cut it in the studio. And a side note is, I got to go to the studio that day and see all these great players play on it. And me being a drummer, growing up my whole life, Kenny Arnoff is a big drummer. He played for John John Cougar. Mellencamp. Wow. He's like a huge drummer. You know, if you're a drummer, you know him. Anyway, I got to sit right behind him and watch him play on my song. Holy cow. That eventually went to one single of the year and all that. Um, yeah, so that was cool as crap. You know? Yeah, so you had all these amazing moments, and I'm sure that just hooked you even more to oh, the right songs. <laughs> it's, it's like crack, you know, you can't, yeah. you can't stop. Yeah. Well, okay. Can you take us into the whole process behind Shut Up and Fish? I mean, it was just such a huge song. I'm sure yeah, you've it um, a million times, but. Yeah, no. Uh, I remember writing, uh, you know, I've been around here a few years. I've been writing songs. And Aaron Shears, you know Aaron? I don't, no. Aaron, Aaron Shears ended up, somehow, he was writing a big machine at the time. Okay. Maddie and Tay were coming up from Texas. They were best friends down there, one from Oklahoma, one from Texas. They were best friends. And they were coming up like once every two months to write. Um, and then back then, they were 15 and 16. Yeah. They were coming up with their parents to write. And uh, Aaron, because he was that big machine, kind of got hooked up with them and was writing with them a lot, kind of mentoring them, kind of producing all their tracks that they were writing. So he asked me to write with him, and we probably wrote, man, I don't know, 15 songs with him. Wow. And, uh, you know, and I think one of the first ones we wrote was Shut Up and Fish. And, you know, eventually Aaron produced their first record, which kind of turned into a different record that they brought Dan Huff in to produce. So, and so they luckily kept our song on there, and... Uh, but it was really a true story by them. They went fishing with 
a couple guys over the weekend and they were kind of flirting with them and trying to trying to hit on them and they were like we ain't having none of this you know and that was on a monday we wrote that because they had just gotten off that weekend when that actually happened so we wrote that on a, a monday and so long story short that's that's when they didn't know anybody yeah. So, you know, a year and a half later, they finally hook up with Scott Pichetta and that whole thing starts. And, you know, I'm just glad I made the record. You know? Right. And then, they put, then they put it out as a single and uh, it got to 18, 18 or 17 or 19, something like that. And uh, Scott Pichetta told me to research. Uh, they didn't like girls telling boys what to do back then. <laughs> So that's why they kind of, it's why it pretty much died at 18. It floated away like a shut up fish, you know, at 18. So, <laughs> what are you going to do? So, uh, yeah, they're great girls. And, you know, they didn't even need me in the room. They're, those two are really great writers by themselves. Even at 16, I remember thinking, wow, they, these girls know country music. You can tell they grew up on it because they know words for every song you bring up. They know the songs. They sing them out. So, I mean, I was just lucky to be in the room because of Aaron asking me to jump in. And, uh, you know, they they probably didn't need me or Aaron, actually. Oh, you're, like, just, you're just being humble. We're not going to have no, any of that. None of that. If, if anything, I actually brought just a funny, stupid idea you know, <laughs> to, their, to their story. Shut up and fish, you know. I mean, nobody else would have thought of that but me. That's totally Pete Salas. I love. It. <laughs> oh yeah, because it's totally dumb. But wow. But yeah, they're, anyway, they're great, and uh, you know, they have a record that just came out, and they're uh, the quarantine's kind of put all these things on hold. You know, yeah. like we've got record release parties online on Zoom, and it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is a crazy time. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, we're still creating. People that create have to create no matter what the circumstance. You know. Yeah. Amen. So, do you, is there, how do I phrase this? Uh, is there anything that you wish you'd known when you first got here? Oh my gosh. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, uh, you know, I spent my first, I mean, I was here 10 years as a drummer. I spent my first years on the road doing that. So my writing, I feel like I moved here actually in 2011. I was always gone the first 10 years. Yeah. So. Um, I, w I mean, in that whole time, I would like go home and I would sit there and listen to Tony Lane, Chris Wallen, yeah, you know, Rivers, Craig Wiseman. I would like listen to their songs, their hit songs over and over. And I'd figure out why did this song move me, or why did I like this song? Not necessarily that it was number one, but I was like trying to figure out what. Yeah. If I liked the song, why did it move me? Yeah. I like, you know, and I would study their rhyme schemes. I, I mean, I tore these songs apart. It was like going to college. Yeah. You know, and every songwriter can do that. You know, find your favorite writer. Like Tony Lane is one of my favorites. And um, so I would tear these songs apart. But what I wish I knew now, now, or what I wish I knew then, what I know now, probably the more networking, going out at night, you know, I hate doing that. You know, and I, and I, I you know, I don't drink, or not, I've never been high or drunk in my whole life. Not once. Wow. So that world's kind of foreign to me, but I should have still probably gone out and hung out more, just drink water or whatever. But so, because that's, you know, I think it's probably 50% what you write and 50% who you know. Absolutely. You know? 
Yeah, and I actually and back, back then I always grew up thinking and always, you know, living here the first ten years, I thought the best song always wins. You know, the greatest song will always win. No, that was true. That's a different world. Now it's the best song in that camp wins. Yeah. It's still the best song wins, but unfortunately it's the best song in that camp. Yeah. So you gotta get in that camp somehow, you know. Yeah. Especially now, ever since ever since streaming and you know, all that stuff has started happening. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I'm not surprised. I've heard so many songwriters say that they don't love going out and networking. I don't think that, you know, we're all just kind of naturally introverted, I think, as creative people. So. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm a home, I'm a homebody for sure. Um, yeah. You got to push yourself a little bit, unfortunately. But um, yeah. also, somebody mentioned to me recently in the industry, they think that the, the kind of camp thing is maybe going to slow down a little bit and they're going to open things back up to you know, outside songs a little more. Do you see the industry going uh, that way? No, I believe it when I see it. Yeah, fair uh, enough. I don't think so. It's, I mean, your song has to be so great, they're going to give you a half million dollars out of their own pocket. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. we're also, we're, that's how great it has to be. Um, they have to want to give you a big check. Yeah. When they, can, when they can write anything they wrote last week, they can put on their album and just make just as much money. Unfortunately, uh, the artists that stayed around forever, you know, Tim McGraw, Raina Lambert, um, Kenny Chesney, I mean, all these great acts, George Strait, never wrote a song. They just picked the best songs. They have the longest career out there, you know? Yeah. Hopefully, artists can kind of see. I wish maybe they'd go, I'll, I'll put five songs on here that I wrote, and five of the best songs I can find. Yeah. Anywhere in the world, you know? Yeah. It's kind of crazy that they think these songs are the best songs I got. Well, every phone call. Okay. Uh, when, everybody, when everybody in the world in Nashville knows it's not true. These are not the best 10 songs you could find. Yeah. Because I hear them every night, wherever you go. Almost like unplanned. Anywhere you go in a writer's night, you'll hear at least one song. We go, oh my God, that was amazing. Yeah. You know, uh, so I don't know. I pray it happens because obviously we need to get more cuts and more money. Yeah. But. Uh, that's fair. I'll believe it when I see it. But speaking yeah. of great songs, do you feel like playing a song for us? Uh, what, uh, yeah, let me hold on. I kind of sprung it on you. I don't think I told you. You don't have Nova. to. I'm trying to think of what song to play. <laughs> We'd love, we'd love to hear two songs if you're up for it, but no pressure. I'm trying to grab lyrics here. Take your time. Uh, I, can... I have to get my capo. Hold on. Okay, yeah, you're fine. I can edit this out. I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. I know you don't like to edit, though. That is not true. <laughs> Nobody likes to edit. Too much work. Capo, oh. Yeah. Where is oh here it is. Okay. I love the way that you set up all your frames behind you. You've got a real decorator's eye. Oh, okay, cool. 
I, I just make sure I just try to make the tops all line up. That's all. Did a good job. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of uh, I could do uh, like High Road. I wrote with Tia Siller is one of my favorite songs. Yeah, please, that'd be great. Um, I remember me and Tia. If I could just write with her every day, I'd be totally happy. Uh, we actually wrote a song when we were packing up. We were at we were at uh, uh, ten ten, where she used to write back then. Blowing these candles out, and uh, we were packing up. Uh, we were packing up, and for some reason, I don't know what, what we got on, how we got on the subject, but I know we wrote this in like 15 minutes. Really? Luckily, she, luckily she had her tape recorder going. I wish I could remember the story of why we wrote this, how, I mean, how it started, but I don't remember. It's only 4,300 songs ago. But I just love it because we wrote it so fast. I, like, I don't even remember it when I left. And we wrote it, and we just kind of went, we left. Then we went to demo it. And boy, it came out amazing on the demo. And uh, just crazy how fast and slow and how long and how short songs come and go, you know? So, it's called The Hybrid. Oh, the high road is a roadless trap. It's wild and hard to scrap. Hell on. But the high road takes your breath away. And all the miles behind you find your You see mountains, all the valleys, all the rivers are down low. Oh, the highway, I feel lonely, it's the only way to Oh, 
There'll be hunger, doubts and questions. Can't help but feel forsaken when the night turns bitter cold. But in the morning, when the sun shines it's bright, it'll show that such a love. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, well, I just have I have one more question for you, yeah, and for I'd love for you to play one more song if you want to. Yeah. Um, where do you look for inspiration, and does the well ever run dry? Um, you know, <laughs> it sounds crazy. Obviously, the normal, you know, go to movies, listen to other music, you know, and not just country. You know, I hardly, I haven't listened to country radio in probably three, four years. Yeah. You know, I, I'll look at the top 10 and kind of go to YouTube for a day and kind of listen to, you know, what's going on. But um, I'm usually on Lightning 100 or, you know, talk radio or sports radio. But anyway, so other than the normal pay attention to people talking, you know, sit by a couple of women at a bar, <laughs> movies, uh, you know, we always got our antenna up wherever we go. But, man, I love to walk around libraries. Really? Walk up and down library aisles looking at book title. Wow. And I can't tell you how many times I write down a thought or you know, a title. Uh, that's probably my only way that's unusual. It's the same as everybody else, but uh, that's one thing I actively do. No, that's a great new secret that nobody probably thought of. I love it. Dang it. I didn't <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably the only weird thing I do that's not of the norm, you know. I love it. Well, I really appreciate you being here. And if you want to play us one more song, we love it. I will. I'll play Shut Up and Fish because I didn't play that the other time. So, so here's a song that's a, it's a girl song, so don't look at me weird. But here's a song called I Take and look at me as a girl. <laughs> either, either close your eyes or picture me in a skirt. Here we go. Oh, yeah. 
played that song 10,000 times, but every time it's like the first one. Aww. <laughs> jammies and jammies. We all love it. What's your next, when's your next night? Um, we're doing a live stream every Sunday. I have every no Sunday. idea when we're going to be in real life again. Well, music's starting out now, right? I heard. I heard, yeah. I know. I've reached out to some people and they're still kind of fishy about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so. it's just whether people will show up or not. Yeah, exactly. But I'm sure we'll figure something out soon. But I'm used to only two people showing up, so I don't even know the difference. I know. That's how I feel. <laughs> I'm with you. All right. Well, that's awesome. All right. Well, I will hit you up as soon as I know. And, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with us. Please do. Stay safe. <laughs> Talk to you later. You too. Have fun recording. All right. Thank you, Don. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Magic.